Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boston Celtics Reddit podcast. My name is Ben Vallis and I'm in Sydney, Australia, about a five minute drive from Elite Process Servers. <laughs> Thanks to Terry Rogier for bringing that to my attention. He knows With how to is- shout out the good places, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. With me, as always, possibly the, the best basketball player from Newcastle, Australia, it's Jackson, a.k.a. Rickman Lives. Jackson, how's it going, man? I'm good, man. If Aaron Baines was from Newcastle, I, w- I would not be able to claim that whatsoever, but uh, I can't think of anyone else off my head who, who spent some of their lives in Newcastle, uh, so I'll claim that, man. Thank you Fortunately, it's just Ben Simmons, so yeah, no, no worries to do that. Bad, but it's Ben Simmons, <laughs> man. Coming up on the show, we've got the top 10 moments from the Eastern Conference semifinals against the 76ers. We'll be looking ahead to the upcoming conference finals against LeBron. That's right, your Boston Celtics back in the conference finals for the second year running. And of course, some of the top posts from Celtics Reddit over the past week and other news from around the team. But first, Jackson, the Celtics closed out the series against Philly last night in Beantown. The 114 to 112 thriller. Jackson, take us back to the the glory of Game Five. Yeah, yeah, there was there was glory all rounds uh, when uh, when that final <laughs> buzzer went, man. It was it was it was fantastic. Because I mean, it, when you got a three and zero lead, you know, you almost mentally check out as a fan, almost because you think you look at the record of all the teams throughout the the M- the history of the NBA coming back from three nil down. No one's done it, so you you felt quite comfortable there. But you know. It's that fourth quarter. Philly's got a bit of a lead. You think about they win this game. We've got to go back to Philly. We've got, we've got yeah. to play them there. They might win another one. All of a sudden, like you, you can talk yourself out of feeling comfortable, rightly or wrongly. Um, but the the one consistent that I've seen, not just throughout this series, but also throughout um, the, the postseason from the Celtics in general, is just the, the fight, the mongrel, the never-say-die attitude. And, you know, un, un, unless it's just one of those games where we're down big and we're not hitting our shots and the team that we're playing has just got, you know, their offense clicking, you know, barring those games we've seen a couple of, if we're in, if we're in with a shout, like, I feel like any game, it's within like a few points going into the final few minutes. I feel like we're going to win. And that's just so huge, you know, not just going forward, but also just in the, like going forward into the immediate future of the next series, but also in like the mentality and the, 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 the credence, I guess, of this group going forward into the future and postseason, um, next season as well too so yeah no it was it was a fitting end that we we closed it out in four given how we played previously um and game i five, just thought yeah, yeah game five yeah sorry uh winning four rather um and <laughs> i thought honestly i thought everyone except for marcus morris had an exceptional exceptionally good game yeah no i agree i i uh, marcus morris uh we'll, we'll get to that maybe if we can stomach the uh the subject or the topic <laughs> but um one of the things that really bothered me throughout the series was the fact that the Sixers were favorites the whole way through, including up until the very last game, like the the betting odds and just all of the you know the commentators, whether it be like your, your sort of dorky, untrustworthy, uh, content producing ESPN types, but even like your your maybe more thoughtful like uh, Bill Simmons and and Zach Lowe's and stuff, like they always seem to be sort of cautiously aware that the Sixers could come back at, at any time. And, you know, even when we were up 3-0, it just it didn't seem like we had the support of anyone out there other than other Celtics fans, which really bothered me. And even in the last game, the, the commentator was introducing the teams and he was sort of, his narrative that he was forming around the introduction to the game was, well, the Sixers, they're looking to be the first team to come back from a 3-0 deficit, as opposed to the Celtics looking to be the freaking millionth team to just win after being up 3-0. Like that was... It seemed like it was never, like they were never framing it around that, which really frustrated me. Yeah, yeah, we've been getting, we've been getting like a lot of doubt from the media, you know, in general, basically from, from the time that Gordon Hayward went down. I mean, even like if you want to go back as far as like the, that initial Cavs trade, you know, it, it felt like no one was really you know, praises of 
at least I thought appropriately of, of, um, of Danny Ainge and whatnot for making that thing happen. But obviously the way that it's all washed out, you know, the season that, you know, the, the Cavs have had and the season that we've had and given where we're at, given all the circumstances that have happened so far, I feel like, I feel like if it wasn't the Celtics, I feel like if, if this was, if let's say it was Philadelphia in the exact same position, they traded for a couple of superstars and then they went down and then they put this run together. It would be like, they'd be, be wanking themselves to the point where it's like the greatest sports story, <laughs> at least the yeah. greatest NBA story of like the year. And given that it's the Celtics, you know, everyone's still, they wrote the obituaries for us, you know, basically after round one. And despite the 16 game win streak, despite what we've seen from Brad Stevens, despite what we've seen from Jalen, Jason, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So going into game five on a home turf, somehow as underdogs, at least in terms of the, um, like the Vegas odds, pretty exciting game went right down to the wire. Uh, I want to run through a few points here. Leading up until towards the end of the second quarter, pretty exciting, pretty um, like consistently back and forward between the two teams. Like the, the, the Sixers looked worryingly strong. You know, from a, from a fan perspective, a fan of the Celtics, the Sixers looked like they were playing really, really well on the road. They'd just come off that win in game four. And even the commentators, even though they feel like they were a little bit biased towards the Sixers, were sort of saying, oh, you know, it looks like the Sixers have figured something out here in, in terms of how they're playing against Boston. And they're really showing that so far in this game. And they didn't fall too far behind. And in fact, they sort of maintained a bit of a lead up until our 36-point second quarter, where towards the end, and it was capped off by that awesome T-Row, Tito 3-6, three-point uh, buzzer beater. We put ourselves up by, you know, nine or 10 to, to close out the half, which was amazing. Yeah, it was a one-point game with 56 seconds remaining. Uh, from there, we got an Aaron Baines three. Um, then we had Aaron Baines defending Joel Embiid in the post rather well, and he bricked his shot, which led to Tatum running the court and letting, putting in a layup. They then, uh, I think Ben Simmons then bricked his layup or, or hook shot of or course, whatever it was, yeah, <laughs> the, which is the narrative of the series rather. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, that Terry Rozier three. So that that 9-0 run, I mean, in games that are that close, you could look to missed free throws. You can look to, you know, botched possessions here and there, bad calls and whatnot. Really, that run at the end, I think that ultimately decided the game because like saying that the commentators were picking up, oh, Philly have figured something out. Philly are doing something well here. Really, it was it was their offense that was that was really clicking well. And I mean, fortunately for us, so was ours. You know, I think Jalen Brown was, was super, super hot in that first half. Oh, he, he was, was so throughout good. the game, really. So if I think it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for the, our guys in general making those shots, then we could have found ourselves in another big hole. And you just never know how that would have, would have, um, would have turned out. So Jalen Brown was another point that I wanted to get to. He shot... 10 for 13 from the field, uh, 3 for 4 from 3-point range, 24 points behind uh, Jason Tatum by 1 point. Just had an amazing game, incredibly efficient, and it just seems like his 3-point shooting, which was a massive weakness for him, obviously, you know, coming into draft night, um, you know, a year or so ago, but throughout his, his rookie season, coming off the bench for Jay Crowder, like, he, he's just light years ahead of Jay Crowder now, what he ever was for our team, in my opinion. Maybe a little bit of recency bias there, but like it's just amazing his improvement. That you know what we've seen from him uh, in, the, in the past year or so, and you know putting up a ten for thirteen game in the playoffs for a guy who whose shooting was a main major concern for him. And that's just huge. So he was massive for us in this game. Yeah, the the, the maturity is the word that that comes to mind when I think of Jalen Brown. It always has, but I mean, for for a guy who was you know it, it obviously he was in the series, he was in a, the playoff run last year. Um, yeah. but, you know, more of like just he he was, you know, playing the role you would more have expected of a rookie. You know, we had the likes of Isaiah and Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder, you know, carrying most of the scoring burden. So he was kind of just in there to, you know, provide, you know, backup and whatnot. He was like a prominent, prominent piece in this in this series. And then despite, you know, having the injury that kept him out of, you know, some action there, you know, he he didn't really look like he, he missed a beat at all. So, you know, it, it, it's really encouraging to see Jalen taking his game to this level, you know, already. It's all part of the the downtown Jalen Brown uh, intellect, you know, like the, <laughs> the fact that he can adjust like, oh, okay, like I've taken a hit in the hamstring area and he just has like this automated intelligence that just like recalibrates his mind and his body and like um, immediately knows how to play basketball at that higher level, like w- taking into account the fact that like he's, he's hampered at that part of his body. So amazing. I feel, I, like, I feel like his next Harvard talk will be how to, how to train the mind to get through crippling injury and succeed. Yeah. <laughs> like how to lines. Chuck Norris, your, your brain into forgetting yeah. about your, your very obvious injuries. Uh, Postmaster smart 
which I, I think the Australian accent lends itself to the Boston pronunciation of that. Mm. Um, that was a, a new uh, addition to the game plan in Game 5 that I, we hadn't really seen uh, prior in this series. And feeding, feeding Marcus Smart in the post and just like having him back down, like whoever it was. Fortunately for us, it was usually one of the poor, small guards for the 76ers, um, Redick or McConnell or whoever. Uh, and Smart would just go to town and either get the bucket or draw the foul or both. Um, and he was not... Oh, <laughs> I was about to say he was really efficient doing so, but I think he finished the game three for eight, um, which isn't terrible by Smart standards. But um, it seemed to be a, a pretty effective... Uh, strategy for the Celtics, and if he wasn't making buckets or drawing fouls out of that, he was passing out of the paint uh, pretty effectively. So that yeah. was that was interesting to see. Yeah, he got himself a couple of and ones, I, I, I remember, and he was uh, his his free throw shooting for for most of the game was actually excellent. Like he was really he was knocking a lot of them down. There was like that that period towards the end. I think he missed like four straight where things were starting to look a little bit iffy. And I think he finished like 8 of 13 from the line, which, you know, considering it, it, it's not ideal. But if you look at like the other guys, like, I mean, as good as Jalen Brown was, he, he wasn't that great from the line. Jason, I think he also missed a couple of um, uh, free throws that we could have used um, in throughout that game. But, um, you know, o- overall, I mean, I thought Smart in the post was definitely, definitely a fantastic strategy. The one play that sticks out to my mind was when he was defending Saric in the post. And it was as we were trying to claw our way back late, late, late on. And he... They, they were doing the body contacts. They were getting up to it. They were really digging in. And then as Saric goes to hit him on the third time, he just completely goes loose. Some will say it's a flop. I just think he, he intentionally just goes loose. So he knocks him. So he would knock him off balance. And, and what do you know? He goes off balance. He loses the ball. We turn it over and we get the ball and we score. And I think that tied it up at 109 each or something like that. So yeah, uh, smart in the post. I'm making I'm making the primo fingers uh, symbol with my <laughs> fingers for those who can't see. Noted. But it was, it was, it was, it was, it was 100, man. It was a combination of a flop and a pulling of the chair, but whatever it was, it worked. And you know, Saric, we'll get to in a second, was having an amazing game, and uh, and you know, Smart just uh, outsmarted him mm-hmm. at that point, uh, which was huge for us. And that sort of brings me to the next point, uh, the the final point, I guess, the the late game heroics. There's three names that come to mind. Obviously, Marcus Smart uh, for what he did, and Al Horford. There was a a little sequence, a, a sort of a run that we we were down a little bit. Uh, towards the second half of the fourth quarter and Horford, who had been quiet. I remember you said to us in our Hangouts chat, Jackson, like, where has Horford been in this game? And then you had this sequence where, like, he caught that crazy alley-oop from Tatum. I think he had a, a good assist back to Tatum or Brown as well for an easy bucket. Um, and he had a steal, which led to a bucket as well, which put us back on top or, or tied us the game. I can't remember. It was, a, it was a massive turning point in the game and it had Horford written all over it. Obviously, we, we talked about Marcus Smart's late-game heroics, uh, the, the defense on Saric, the free throws, the steal to, to, to end the game where he, he played like the ultimate like Patriots tight end role and just like grabbed that, that ball out of the air and threw it up to, to, to sort of wind down the rest of the clock. Um, but, and that assist to, to Jason Tatum for the, yeah. the tying bucket or the go... That was the go-ahead bucket at that point within the final minute. That was absolutely huge. That was just another sequence there. And, and Timmy, um, well-known Celtics Redditor, posted a, a good summary. It actually goes for like nine minutes uh, in real time, but it covers the last 90 seconds of game time. And if you look at that, Marcus Smart is just absolutely everywhere. Yeah, he was and the it, man that lost two minutes. He was everywhere. Yeah, it was crazy. And uh, finally, Baines's clutch defense on Embiid. Uh, Rogier sort of came in for the the MJ Game Six '98 against Utah steal <laughs> on Carmelo Malone kind of thing. But leading up to that point was Embiid just like troubling. Sorry, Baines just troubling Embiid and and preventing him from from getting those baskets. It looked like at at one point he was going to draw an and one and and give them the lead potentially. And you know it's pretty terrifying. Embiid is like seven two going up against anyone in the in the post like that in such a you know a, a, a an insane situation where he could get the clutch go ahead bucket. But um, to see Baines play that kind of defense and then Rogier come in and get that steal, like I was just so proud of our guys at that point in the in the game and in the series. Yeah, Baines I think has been probably the most underrated 
player of the series thus far. Like, I mean, you could definitely point to players who have played better than him, who have been more important than him, who have produced more on the offensive end than he has. But, I mean, his, his defense on, on, on Embiid alone throughout this, this series, you know, and Embiid, it's not like Embiid was playing badly, you know. He still got a lot of points uh, throughout, particularly in this final game. But, I mean, I just thought Baines just did just did enough, probably even more than enough, you know, of a job on him there. And, like, I think that was definitely punctuated by the final sequence where Embiid probably could have had three layups there. And he just, he just, yeah. he just hassled. They didn't necessarily block him. I mean, they said, some say it could have been a foul, particularly if the home court had been swapped over and that was, you know, whether you want to look at it as Embiid playing for the Celtics and that happened to us or if it was in Philly and that happened the other way around, it may have been a yeah. call. But, I mean, for me, that was a good no call. I mean, obviously biased as well, but there really was not a lot into it. I mean, I think if we had... If we were blessed with the likes of blessed with the likes of uh, Tony Brothers or Scott Foster in that game, <laughs> that could have been very, very different. But I think the game would have looked different completely otherwise. So no, I think Baines is not just not just his uh, his defense, but you know the odd the odd three that he does uh, you know swish as well too. He had a fantastic game. So give a big, big shout out to uh, to all of Australia there. Yeah, absolutely. It was a intense game, and I was fe- feeling very clenched while we clinched. I wrote here uh, because that this that last you know few minutes or so where it, it could have gone either way. Like I, you know, my hands were shaking, uh, you know, palms sweaty, like <laughs> literally, yeah. uh, like it was it was intense. It was a lot of fun in hindsight as a fan to experience a game like that. But you at certain moments you kind of like I could just walk away and come back and like check the score at the end and maybe that would be more tolerable because this is killing me right now. Uh, before we move on, uh, Dario Saric, we probably need to give a shout out to Saric because he was insane in this game. Like he was very, very good. I'm going to bring up his stats here. I'm going to pull up the old next day thread on Reddit. Uh, the mods have kindly listed the stats. 27 points, a steal, a block, 10 rebounds, four assists, uh, eight for 14 from the field, uh, eight for 11 from the line. Perfect from the three-point arc, three for three. Um, he played just under 40 minutes, but he just seemed like any time the ball touched his hands, either it was him attacking the basket or the play running through him, good things happen for the Sixers. And and given the talent on the rest of their roster as well, and Saric doesn't often get the mention, you know, he doesn't necessarily win any popularity contests. Um, what he's doing out there is incredible, and it looked like at certain moments during the game it was going to be the Saric game, and. I don't know. He, he terrifies me. I'm glad that we don't have to see him for a number of months now. But uh, I don't know, Jackson, if you had any any thoughts on Saric. It was pretty pretty intense. Yeah, no, everything you just said um, applies to my opinion of him as well, too. You know, at, at first I was like... I don't want to be too. This is me, you know what I mean? But if he's he's not the best looking dude in the world. If he, his his his, his, his pro, <laughs> the profile of his head is like is is remarkably sort of like. <laughs> one-dimensional flat. If he you looks like say. a pirate, right? He do- yeah, he, looks he, like a pirate. he does. And I think that obviously has nothing to do. I, I have this theory that like the uglier you are, the better you are at your craft because you have to, you know, you, you're not getting distracted by, you know, socializing or anything. Again, these these are all absurd takes here, but I, I have this theory that like no, the uglier you are, the better you are at, at your, 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 your chosen, you know, craft or whatever. And I think Zarich, you know, he, the beautifully ugly man, he, he did very, very well. Frustrated the hell out of me at times too. That like, completely backwards layup that he made, which I think put them up six or at least put them, I think back up four or whatever it was late, late in the game. And I just, I was just shaking my head. Cause I was like, if, if those kind of shots are going in, that just feels like they're going to get away with, they're going to get this game just based on that. Um, and he also played more, more minutes than anyone else on that team, which is remarkable. I mean, yeah, yeah, he was there basically. He played 39, almost 40 minutes. Um, and yeah, he definitely is a highly, highly influential piece of that um, of that Philly team. So, um, look, as much as as much fun as it is to to revel in in Philadelphia losing, and and you know their fans can be uh, some of their fans. Let's be fair, can be quite uh, quite obnoxious, as can we. Um, it, it is fantastic to to knock them out. It's fantastic to do so without our our two arguably our two best players. Um, but you know we have definitely have not seen the last of, of Philadelphia and Dario Saric and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. You know they're going to be back next year. I think they're going to be wounded. I think they're going to be looking for blood. So I'm I'm looking forward to the future battling out with these guys. Yeah, look, I I understand what you're saying. Like if you're uh if you're not the best looking person, then uh, you know you, you've got all the time in the world to, to perfect your craft. But the, the one exception to that rule is um, beautiful, 
beautiful Al There's always an outlier. So, yes. <laughs> sometime, uh, somehow has, uh, has maintained just absolute perfection uh, aesthetically, but also perfection of his craft as well. So, um, I don't know. Sometimes there are just those people, those, those human beings that wow us and, uh, and, you know, we'll be forever remembered by uh, people of their generation and beyond. And uh, Al, Al Holford, I guess, is just uh, just one of those guys. Yeah, but anyway. His, 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 his beauty transcends not only his, uh, his, his facade, but also his, uh, his game as well, too. Yeah. The, the normal rules of the universe do, do not apply to Al Holford. <laughs> um, now, look, we need to move on. Uh, before we get to the Cavs series and, and apply our, our critical analytical brains to, uh, to the series against LeBron and the Cavs, uh, we need to say goodbye to the conference semifinals by running through um, what we have decided are the top 10 moments of the series. So originally we weren't going to put these in any particular order, but to, to spice things up for you, you know, we, we love the hot takes. Love a um, list too. We, yeah, we love a good list and uh, we've ordered these. We're going to start at number 10 and we're going we're gonna to work our way down. So number 10, Simmons missing the dunk in game three. <laughs> now, you, you, you could have put this anywhere. I mean, I would be happy hearing this at number one because it was incredible and I've, I've laughed at times watching NBA games, but never have I laughed out loud as, as heavily uh, as I did at this moment because it just seemed like a moment that could have turned the series. It was a, a potential momentum shifter um, and like his eyes, like, like he looked like he was like out of 70s disco on god knows why like his eyes were huge and like he's just glaring at the rim uh and he just missed he missed the shit out of that dunk like he missed it so so badly and if you're on that team you probably have a similar face to what ben simmons had at that at that time where he, it was just the ultimate cringe yeah and f- uh Sorry, dude. I was gonna say my favorite. My favorite part of that whole thing was the fact that it was in Philly. So you, every yeah. every you, you had the <laughs> widest open look to the to the to the hole, and he was taking it in. And like I just, I didn't exactly like just roll my eyes But you know, like when when someone's about to dunk it, or like you just know a three is good. You just kind of think that. And just to see that thing bounce out so ridiculously and watch, uh, you know, th- all the people you could see in the frame just go, oh, hands on heads. Yeah. And, and there was that and there was that <laughs> groan. It was it was so amazingly satisfying. And like, I, I do feel bad for the dude. Again, Simmons is is a guy what come Olympics time. I'm going to be the biggest Ben Simmons fan for for for, for a period of time, obviously. Um, oh, yeah, he's sure. an exceptional talent. Yeah. He's, he's again, we have not definitely have not seen the last of him. And I think, you know, he's going to someone is going to show him that meme or that that replay of him missing that dunk you know quite a few times throughout his life and if he's the kind of guy that you know is destined to be great you know that's just going to really really piss him off and i think he's going to challenge channel that into something else but it was satisfying as hell to watch him miss that dunk and ultimately that cost him that game so yeah i definitely a pivotal a pivotal moment there and i think worthy of the number 10 spot now, Jackson, take us through number nine, Morris versus Embiid. Obviously, a, a, a bit of a uh, interaction there at times throughout yeah. the season. Yeah, I mean, series rather. Yeah, well, I mean, Embiid's the kind of guy who's going to, you know, if there's someone on the team on the team he's playing against, you know, who is going to, you know, chirp talk back. Shit. Yeah, talk shit. <laughs> talk, talk back. Yeah. Talk to shit back to him. You know, I think Morris is the kind of guy to do it. And I mean, like I said, the, the that whole exchange between them, we couldn't really hear what they were saying. You can guess what they were saying, obviously. But, you know, I just remember Morris showing him the, the three fingers and then switching it to the zero and then three and then zero and then three and then zero. Just reminding him the position that he was in. Yet Embiid didn't give a shit. He just he just kept it, that, that yap going. Um, and it, it spiced up the game a little bit because, I mean, I, I can't remember exactly what stage of the game that was in. I think it was maybe the third quarter. We were down a little bit. Um, and that was, I think, as much as... Uh, that was... It added a bit of spice to the game. And, you know, you really do want to see... You don't want... You don't you don't want guys going out there and, and beating the shit out of each other or really getting into it. Sometimes you do. I mean, it would be dishonest to say you never want to say it. But, like, <laughs> just to add a little bit of spice like that between two guys, between particularly Morris, you know, who's not, not going to back down from anybody... You know, as we had yeah. multiple guys like that. Uh, it was just something that I thought was very timely, and it was good that the series had something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, number eight, the introduction of TJ McConnell in Game 4, I believe it was. That was the that was the major adjustment that, that Brett Brown made, uh, and it worked for them. As we said in the last episode, he's the scrappy, gym rat, Marcus Smart sort of... I mean, he can shoot a little bit better than Marcus Smart, let's, let's be honest. a little bit, yeah. But, um, like, that was the like the spark plug introduction that they made and it worked for them for a game. You know, obviously when you apply the genius of Brad Stevens to any sort of adjustment and only, only takes a game to, uh, to counter these things. But, um, 
that was awesome. Props to TJ McConnell for that game. Props to Brett Brown and the Sixers for um for making that adjustment. And I, I guess props to Ben Simmons for just sort of accepting that this undrafted little man guard was like and playing the point guard, which is Ben Simmons' natural position, I suppose, was the answer to um to their woes in the series up until that point. Yeah, yeah. TJ McConnell earns a lot of my respect throughout this series. I mean, I hadn't been watching a lot of the, the Sixers, so I wasn't really aware of like you know what their role players were about. Um, but no, he was he was excellent. I hated the side of him, you know, when he was coming in and he was cooking. You yeah. Know? I think the first the first bucket of of game five was he got the ball, drove it straight into the lane, got up to about three or four feet away from the basket, and just and just banked it in. And I just thought, oh shit, here we go. Like this is going to be yeah. TJ McConnell just 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 tormenting us again which is the last person in the world I would have thought would have been the issue there uh, I think we're fortunate that his introduction came so late in the piece uh, I don't think he would have ultimately made the difference if he did play the whole time but I think we would not be sitting here with the series wrapped at 4-1 had he had he started you know throughout or had he been more prominent in the earlier games that's just something I got a feeling about yeah, but then again, we're in a series where Terry Rogier and rookies and like who knows that people are, are, are making significant impacts on the series. So it's not totally out of the question to bring in an undrafted, you know, almost zero nobody um, yeah. and expect them to to make a difference. You know, Larkin, Shane Larkin, going out who was playing in Spain, I think it was last year, like that impacted us. Like that's that's been the dynamic of the of the series um and is one reason why I'm like super glad that it's over number 7 Horford's oop from Tatum uh i did not know Horford could get up that high jackson i am sure you didn't know Horford could get up that high i don't think anyone knew Horford could get up that high no. uh Tatum must have seen it in practice or something cuz he threw it up there for him maybe it was just adrenaline that sent the ball up up to that level of verticality but uh <laughs> that was awesome he got <laughs> definitely he got, the momentum he got, changer. he got about as high as he could be as he, uh, he got about as high up in the air as his as his uh handsomeness is on the uh, on a vertical scale if you could <laughs> if you could equate <laughs> it ding, to ding, something ding, like ding, that ding. yeah <laughs> um man that was so big because we were six down and I, and it was so late in the game and i just thought to myself oh shit this is actually happening we're actually going to we're going to blow this game. It's going back to Philly. And like, as we talked about earlier, that, that those those gears of, of doom start ticking around in your mind. You think to yourself, oh, oh yeah. shit, here we go. You this go to a dark be... place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, oop, I was just, just to get the crowd back into it, just to get some points on the board, you know, real quick. You mean, that that came down. If, if that was to go ahead, or if that was to like, you know, put extend the lead, I would have been out of my chair screaming. I think when it happened, this is what I did. Good. <laughs> Like it was, it was just so. All right, onto the next, <laughs> on, onto the next thing. Come yeah. on, we got to pull this out. But it was, it was a massive play. Great, great pass from, um, from Tatum, and a, and a massive finish from Horford. And um, I, I definitely think without that, or without, without those points, definitely. But without the points coming in that fashion, I don't know if we can kick on with the same, same vigor that we did to to close out that game. So that, that I thought that was worthy of the seventh spot. Yeah, now, uh, number six, Baines and his three-point shooting. Baines, uh, Aaron, Ray Allen, Baines. Ray Allen. <laughs> uh, Ray Allen, sure. Um, uh, I mean, it, when it was ugly, it was ugly. When it worked, it was it was beautiful. Uh, I, I, there's not a whole lot to say about this other than it was, it was important for Baines to hit down some of those shots, to, to knock down some of those shots, I should say, in order to bring Embiid out of the paint and, and keeping Embiid out of the paint was was crucial to our offense and our game plan being executed the way that it was planned um and he hit just enough uh, looking at the numbers like I think he, he sort of came away hitting about 40 percent of his threes which is crazy because like from the the eye test like the spectator standpoint like a miss it felt like it counted for two or three misses and so by the end like I expected the percentages to be way lower like oh. Yeah. When he missed, like it was just so ugly, you know. Like he, he he was practicing threes in the game, like he had never shot a three before, and it just came over him, you know, that maybe he should launch one. But uh, it worked, you know. It got Embiid out of the post, and I uh, hit a couple of threes as well. So um, props to Brad Stevens for making that game plan, and, and props to uh, Baines, uh, Aaron Baines. Bain, what, what was the name you just said? <laughs> Bay Allen. <laughs> Bay Allen. <laughs> Rust to Bay Allen for uh for knocking down those threes. 
Yeah, yeah, right. big time. I was, I was the only I was, I was going to say about that. You know, I've always like every time he takes a mid-range shot, it just look it's so wet. It just it just looks fantastic. So I always thought to myself like, you know, can we could we push him out to the wings and to have a few threes there? And obviously he didn't take the he, he did never took them throughout the season, so he didn't think it was something that he had in his repertoire. But I mean, I don't know if you could comfortably say that he does now. But I mean, based on just the the, the shoot the three-point shooting he's done throughout this playoff series versus his whole career. It's he he's he's shot more in this series in this these playoffs than he has his whole career. So uh, that could be that could be an uh, that could be an outlier. That could be an, an abnormality that will eventually die off. Or maybe it's just the start of you know of, of Baines's you know evolution into a into a, a real stretch five who can knock those threes down and can be you know deadly going forward. So I mean there was so many instances where he did hit. Well, wasn't so many, but there were multiple instances where he did hit them, and they they always felt timely. They always they, they never really felt ill-advised either. You know, I didn't feel like Smart can, is the master of taking ill-advised threes. I think as we as we know, but um, you know, I felt when Baines took them, they were appropriate and um and fair play to him. He he shot it at a great percentage. He always hit them early as well, like setting the tone yeah. as far as where on the court and Bede needed to play him, which uh, again was huge. Number five, Rogier steal to the Jalen Brown layup at the end, or what we thought at the time, was the end of game three. Uh, I was watching this on my couch at home. It, was, it fell on a, a Sunday here, Sunday morning here in Australia, and I woke up like all the dogs on my street, literally. like I jumped up and I made a sound, which uh, in my head was probably like a manly scream, but obviously it was a, of a, a higher pitch because every dog <laughs> it hit the the dog frequency and all of them started barking and my dog in particular was um, freaking out. So um, I don't know what I sound like naturally, but yeah. <laughs> I, I made my natural exclamation because I was so excited over this play because it was just, it reminded me of a Pacers game earlier in the year where Terry Ruggier yes. got a similar steal. And uh, it was just exciting. Like so many times in game three, it looked like Philip were going to win their first game back in their house, you know, in this series. And uh that was just a, a crucial play. Yeah, it would it would have been much higher on the list, I think, had it not been for um for the play that followed that, which we'll get to later. But um yep. yeah, no, I I had intense, intense deja vu back to the Pacers game. And uh, again, I was also doing the whole, you know, just you can't really control your, your limbs. You can't really control the, the tone or, or a volume of your <laughs> of your voice. I was doing the exact same thing, man, and it was it was so huge. And it looked like it iced the game. Obviously, it didn't. It ended up. You know, we, it didn't matter anyway. We ended up getting the win regardless. But um, now that was a, a massive, massive play there. Yeah. Now, number four, we just have Jason Tatum written down. Yes. And if you're a fan of the team, if you've been, you know, following the team for a while, and at least since the draft and the trade, you know, we traded the, you know, basically the rights to Markel Fultz. We traded the number one pick, the number three pick to Philly, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, and Jason Tatum... Uh, has been amazing through the season and he hit that sort of rookie wall and then bounced back a little bit towards the end of the season and through the playoffs he's just taken it to a whole nother level and this is amazing uh, for so many different reasons one of them because already in his rookie season he seems to be showing that capability that superstars have where they like they take their game to another level entirely in the playoffs and it would be understandable for a rookie or even a sophomore, like, you know, to, for any new entrant to the NBA to, to take a couple of years before they uncover or they unveil that ability of theirs. And Tatum's just done it straight away. Like, he, he's basically been our go-to scorer throughout the season. Uh, sorry, I keep saying season instead of series. Throughout the series against Philadelphia. Um, and it's just been incredible and, and so much fun to watch. Yeah, he hasn't looked phased at all. He's looked so composed. He doesn't look like the occasion is getting to him. You know, who knows what's going on in his head? He could be like a, a, a nervous a nervous wreck, but he's just got that <laughs> yeah. something about his genetics, something about his DNA or his killer instinct just makes him zero in there. He hasn't looked flustered. He hasn't really. He, I can't think of any real like rookie errors, for lack of a better word that he committed to, to cost us, you know, points. I'm sure if you go back and study it closely, there might've been one or two instances there, but all I remember is him just, you know, getting to the rim, knocking down shots, not, 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 not making himself standard in any negative form whatsoever. And seven straight playoff games with, a, as a rookie with 20 plus points, you know, as good as the season as Donovan Mitchell has had, you know, and the, the praise that he's getting rightly. So, you know, he's now, he's now matched that and he's only three behind, I think, uh, I can't remember the name, Al, Al, Al Sidor, Alcyon, whatever, I can't remember his name, for, uh, for record, uh, te- I think, I made a mess of this, 
<laughs> That's all right. That's uh, <laughs> he's, I'm, three I'm behind, a... he's three behind the all-time record for, for 20-point Lou, games. Lou Alcindor at That's one, Kareem one, yes. Abdul-Jabbar. Yes. Yeah, so per stats.nba.com, this is, um, this is great minds think alike, Jackson, because this is what I had written down as well. Uh, Tatum scored a team high at 25 points in Boston's Game 5 win over Philadelphia. It was his seventh consecutive game with at least 20 points, tying Donovan Mitchell for the second longest 20-point game streak in NBA playoffs history. Tatum is three shy of tying the record set by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1970. So that's per uh, stats.nba.com. And if you, if you go to stats.nba.com, they have like a little stats highlight. Oh, I think it's called stats tidbit uh, section on the right. And if you click that, it just shows you like little amazing tidbits that you know, if you're if you're trawling through tables and tables of stats yourself, you wouldn't really find. Um, so, in this four or so day break between the Eastern Conference semifinals and the, and the Eastern Conference finals, if you're looking for something to do and you're a, a hoops nerd like we are, then go check that out and, and yeah. have a look at the tidbits. Far more concise uh, a way of saying what I was trying to spit out there. <laughs> well, Thanks for that. Well, <laughs> easily achieved when you literally just read read the words uh, verbatim. Pre- preparation, man. <laughs> Number three, the second quarter run in game two. Uh, that looked like the Sixers bouncing back from, at the time, what I thought, as I guess a non-believer, an, an anomalous game one win by the Celtics. And all of a sudden, the Sixers go up big early in game two. And then we get one of our classic 2018 Boston Celtics runs to close out the second quarter. Jackson, thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of not surprised when these runs happen anymore, but you you still when they, when you're down, you know, you you kind of you just you just desperate for some sort of spark or just some sort of you know the the beginnings of a run to to occur. And when this started to happen, I thought to ourselves, okay, we can really keep this going. Well, then we're going to be with a shout. And oh my god, like it was yeah, 22 down to being back four at the half. Like you just felt like. And Brett Brown not calling a timeout too, which got scrutinized in the media to no end too, was something that I think they probably dropped the ball on there. But I mean, that was like so pivotal, really. I mean, there was a lot of plays throughout game three that were, that were huge. But I think the, the deficit that we were in, given what we would be staring down the barrel of had we lost game three, you know, potentially we probably all would have expected to lose game four. And all of a sudden we've got ourselves another seven game series, which would have been you know, obviously not ideal. So to to dig that one out and to come back, I mean, it was just so, so huge. And obviously keeping the, uh, the, the season-long tradition of coming back from ridiculous deficits to pull out wins, you know, shorthanded, it just speaks volumes to the character of this team. And it was fantastic to see on display in an important game in the playoffs on the road, mind you. Yeah, totally. Number two. Bellinelli game winner. <laughs> That's in uh, <laughs> quote marks. Quote, game winner. Game winner. <laughs> yeah, leading to the early confetti in Philadelphia. Um, I mean, I was watching that. You know, we're all watching Game Three. We're all fans here, and uh, even though it was on the far side of the court from the camera perspective, you could sort of tell quite easily. I thought that it was a two. Like at no point was I like, "Oh no, they won the game." I was like, "Oh no, it's going into overtime." You know, um, and you know, I can understand fans with their angles, their lack of ability to see where toes fall on the court. Sure, okay, like maybe you you, you hope for the best and you celebrate a game-winning shot there, but the referees, there's three of them on the court. You know, they have to go and review the shot, but um, the the confetti, the confetti drop after yes. that. Uh, the memes have been so spicy <laughs> since that moment, and um, it really, from obviously the winning team's perspective, um, it's just such an enjoyable portion of the series. I yeah. don't know what. Where were you, Jackson, when the confetti fell? I was. I was. I was. <laughs> I, I was. I was. I was I, mentally, I was in a place of, oh God, here we go. Like this is going to be. Yeah. This is going to be something we're going to really have to dig in to get out. But I don't know. There was just a feeling in me that as soon as that confetti came down and it was obvious that it was a two point, it was overtime. I just thought, this is a game we're going to win. The game we're going to win. This is just like. It would be it, you can just imagine had they did if they did win that game the post would have been imagine if they had lost letting off the confetti how embarrassing would have that have been it was like well those comments don't exist because it's it's a reality and to be perfectly fair like I mean out of everything that's been good about the playoff series that was good about the playoff series and probably the playoffs in general I'm probably going to remember the confetti game for years and years to come it's going to be the the standout moment I mean we gave it number two because I think there's a play that deserves higher praise than that but I mean. <laughs> it's just so funny that like a they, they let off confetti to win a game that they're down 2-1 anyway yeah the, the, the fact that they thought that was appropriate like following the yeah. Milwaukee um, uh, uh, 
playbook of what to do when you win a game, regardless of yeah. the context. Um, yeah, and the fact they had to clean it up for so long and everyone's waiting around and ended up losing that game too. I mean, it was just hilarious. So good. Yeah, and uh, I, I've already said it with the memes. My, my favorite is uh, Lieutenant Dan from uh, Forrest Gump, like sitting in that, that bar in that New Year's scene and all the confetti's like falling on his like yeah. sad <laughs> face. <laughs> and it was just a flashing of the words, the process as yeah. it happens. <laughs> Classic. It's a good. So. The, meme economy, uh, the meme economy is strong with this one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, number one, we've just put the final sequence of game five. So the final 90 seconds. I mentioned earlier that Timmy, uh, legendary Celtics Reddit user, has compiled... Uh, that footage for for your viewing pleasure on YouTube, um, but this just had Marcus Smart written all over it. Um, I don't really know what else to say. We've we've kind of covered this already in the podcast, but that was just such a like look. It's hard to it's hard to put it into words, which obviously is the point of a podcast. <laughs> I'll do my best, but <laughs> Marcus Smart just had his fingerprints all over everything that happened in the final ninety seconds of this game and uh, led us to the promised land where we are the prize winners in <laughs> in having to play LeBron James in the conference finals. But um, you've all seen the game. It, it, I don't know. I'm, obviously, I'm speechless. I'm, I'm still in awe of what Marcus Smart did uh, towards the end of, the, of Game 5. Jackson, have you, have you got anything maybe more eloquent that you can add here? Well, the, the one thing that runs through my mind when I think about Marcus Smart in this series is like Terry Rozier was definitely the story of the Bucks series, I think, you know, the whole subplot yeah. with, with the Bledsoe's and, and the whatnot. Um, then Marcus Smart came back during midway, midway through the, the Milwaukee series, and I think it reminded everyone of how important that he is to the team. He will still put up the ill-advised shots. He'll still miss shots that, you know, you think he should make. But, I mean, yeah, that last sequence there, even going back a little bit further, like, Jason Tatum had that layup, that open lane layup, I think to tie, or no, to take the lead. I think it was to tie. And he missed it. He backrimmed it and it was coming out. I've watched that play many times. Smart starts running to the rim as soon as Tatum leaps off. And you'd think to yourself, like, he's, he's if that was me, I was like, me, like, you mean, I'm not NBA level, obviously. Um, but, like, it, most people would probably just stand there and just watch it happen. But no, his instinct is just to follow the ball to the rim the whole way. And when it does, and it does uh, bounce back off the off the back rim, he was just there to, to, to put it in anyway. And, like, that was, that's a typical Marcus Smart play that was so, so important. And then, I, for the second time this year in a clutch game against a big opponent, you know, it, it's, a, it's a free throw that we try to miss that we end up making. I'm thinking back to Kyrie's <laughs> against the Golden State um, yeah. a few months back. And, you know, it, to be fair, like, if he had missed that, and I, I, I don't think Philly would have been able to get it down, but that going in meant that, you know, Ben Simmons' only option is just to, you know, quarterback pass the ball up up the court and try to someone just to, to throw a Hail Mary three in there. A, it ends up getting intercepted anyway from guess who, guess who, Marcus Smart. Um, but unless it was like... Unless it was like LeBron James there, you know, I don't want to like, you know, kind of <laughs> give any sort of, you know, uh, make any bad omens going forward. Um, you know, I, I just, I felt so confident that nothing was going to come out of this when he, everyone cleared out, got the ball in his hand, he just launches it down down the court. So I think even though it, it, it did go in when we were trying to miss, I mean, the I, I really wasn't that worried about it at all, but it was just fitting that, you know, it was smart that drew the foul. It was smart who missed the first shot. Again, a typical trait that we like to associate with him. Then in an act of trying to hit, uh, miss, he makes it. So you just got all these things going on, like what's going on here? And then the steal at the end too, man. It just put, it was a big exclamation point on this series. It was the winning play, the winning sequence of this series. And I mean, for that reason, I think it's fitting for number one. And I think Marcus Smart really deserves the, um, really deserves the credit there for getting it done in the clutch. Yeah, I had such a big smile on my face for the rest of the day. Obviously, the games Likewise. occur in the morning here uh, in Australia. But um, like I was just singing the praises of Marcus Smart for whoever was asking me, you know, what did I look so happy about? Because <laughs> uh, he just like, he just Marcus Smarted the fuck out of this game. Yeah. And it was awesome to see. Um, there you have it, the top 10 moments uh, as per the Boston Celtics Reddit podcast staff uh, of the Eastern Conference semifinals. Honorable mentions. I'm going to run through these quickly as we are running out of time. Uh, Reddick, game three turnover. Uh, I don't think I need to remind you what happened there, where he rolled the ball sort of beyond Ben Simmons. The Boston Garden crowd in general. Our defense on Embiid and Simmons, thanks to one Al Horford. 
Uh, leading into the next point, which is Father Al Horford and his beauty, I've written here. Uh, game three in general, uh, we've already covered Simmons blowing the open dunk and the confetti. Uh, the Horford steal off Embiid in overtime in game three uh, and the Horford game winner in overtime in game three. Embiid talking smack the whole time despite losing the whole time. And of course, winning the damn series. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, it's amazing. Like, we've already talked about the lack of favoritism towards the Celtics heading into the series. Um, the, the fact that we came out 4-1, and one, you know, didn't even go to seven games. Like, that's just unbelievable. And it makes it difficult to uh, talk uh, accurately about our next segment. So we're moving on now to the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And uh, we have played this guy. A few times in the playoffs, and I I don't think we've beaten him since 2010. He's been off to Miami and back since then. He's done a bit of a round trip, and he's won himself about three championships uh, at the expense of us a a number of times. Uh, And yet, we find ourselves again in another situation where we're going into a series where we are not the favorites. Um, Our two All-Stars are still out, not coming back. Danny Ainge said on... um, I don't know the name of the Boston radio station, whatever it is, but there's absolutely no chance of Gordon Hayward coming back. Like, let's let's just rule that out. Yep. It's not happening. Um, and yet here we are, Eastern Conference Finals. LeBron James, uh, user TLJ2494 on Celtics Reddit posted uh, that it's our first back-to-back conference finals since 1988, another winning <laughs> era for the Boston Celtics. Jackson, uh, what what are your thoughts heading into this series against LeBron and his Cavaliers? Well, um, I think I, I, I'm feeling apprehensive about being confident, I guess is, is, a, is a weird way of saying it. I mean, I have not doubted the Celtics team against anyone so far this series, you know, uh, this, these playoffs, you know, uh, the Mil- Milwaukee, I thought, you know, yeah, yeah, sure, Giannis is a tough matchup. I think we'll get it. 76ers, I did say I think it would be the Sixers in six or the Celtics in seven. Um, but I, I, did, I, did, I wasn't buying the whole, you know, or oh, they've, they've got the two best players on the court, you know, they're on the they're on the hot streak, they're going to take care of it. No, I, I felt like we definitely had a, had a shot in there. I just didn't think we were going to, you know, a, a, out-execute them as well as we did in clutch time, which, which, which was huge. Um, but you think about everything that we've had to do to get to this point, and now we've got to go up against LeBron James and the Cavs now. It, it almost seems like a distant memory that the Cavs were so so hot and cold and so poor for so, so for so many long stretches throughout the regular season. Like it's almost unfair that they can just almost like sw- flip a flip a mental switch and all of a sudden you know they they look like you know the the, the team that's going to represent the East in, in the finals. And it, it is it's quite nervy knowing that we're going to be going into that. But I am I, I'm I'm confident that we can at least. We can. We've we've definitely got a shot. Let let's put it that way. I I don't I don't buy that. You know, it, it's a foregone conclusion that LeBron is just going to run over all of us and and everything like that. I I'm confident for. First of all, I suppose, I suppose mainly, it's the home court advantage. I I don't think, I, I I don't think you can really underestimate the value it has to this Celtics team. You know, when we don't have a Kyrie Irving, when we don't have. A, um, a Gordon Hayward. We don't have anyone really, even if we did, we don't have anyone the caliber of LeBron James to, to really, you know, nullify kind of you know, on both ends, really. Um, so I think having home court advantage, as it has proved very important throughout the, the postseason so far, is huge for us. And I think that game one is going to be obviously the most pivotal, at least from our perspective. I think if we can get game one, I think we can go seven. I really, really do. I think if we lose game one, again, you've got to look at how it breaks down. If it's a, if we lose on a bad no call or something controversial and it's only by a couple points, you know, I, I I wouldn't write us up just yet. But I'm I'm the one thing that that makes me so nervous and makes me a little bit ill going into this game is that I just don't want to see a repeat of last week of last year's first round of of the East Finals, and I definitely don't want to see what happened to us on Paul Pierce's jersey retirement night. Like those, those were wounding, <laughs> wounding experiences, and I, yeah, I, I, I think I think a lot of fans would probably be cautiously. I think a lot of fans will be nervous about the prospect of going up against LeBron again. Yeah, well, last uh, this time last year, almost you know to the day we we went down by fifty points. With the Isaiah Thomas led right before we pulled him out due to you know a very obvious injury, 
Um, we went down by 50 points to the, the Cavs in one of the uh, earlier games in that series, uh, which was painful. It was really painful. However, this year we have the top defense in the league. Like literally we have the, the best defense in basketball and we have a lot of guys that we can throw at LeBron James to slow him down. This isn't an original thought of mine at all, but like the general thinking around like podcasts and Reddit and, you know, whoever you talk to who knows a little bit about hoops um, is that you can only serve to slow down LeBron James. Um, And like we kind of did with Embiid, where we just put one guy on him to make sure that we could have adequate defense on the shooters that surround him, probably need to look at a similar option uh, in terms of defending the Cavs. So, Throw a big body, you know, a, a Shemi Ojale, a, an Al Horford, uh, a Jalen Brown, like a good big defender. We've got a lot of them, like I said, at LeBron James um, to slow him down as much as possible and then just nullify everyone else on the court. It's probably our best chance at um, keeping their score low enough that our sometimes inadequate offense can score enough to, to win games. Um, yeah. obviously that's what it comes down to. We want to score more than, than the Cavaliers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think if you look at it almost from the flip side too, because I mean, obviously we know what LeBron's about. We know what the Cavs can do when they're, when they're firing. You know, we haven't even mentioned you know, the likes of, you know, Kevin Love, if he goes off, which, as he did against the Raptors, you know, if you saw what the, what a bloodbath that was. Kyle Korver, when he gets hot, he's he's scary automatic, you know, not to take away the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the Terry Rozier nickname and give it to somebody else. But I mean, Korver like, just looks like cold-blooded sometimes. J.R. Smith yeah. doesn't really worry me when he's having a bad game, but when he has a good game, he can be, like, stupid hot as well, too. So they, they're inundated with threats from the three-point line. So, I mean, we're obviously good at defending the three. I, I don't think we're going to get... I don't think we're going to get, you know, murdered by three-pointers as we did in that 50-point loss. I think they had more threes than we had made field goals in that game. or that. So that was, like, that was especially brutal to watch. But I think, I think if you want to look at it from the flip side of it, it's like... We've got so many guys on our team who can be the man on any one given night. You know, Rozier can have a night. Tatum can have a night. Horford can have a night. Brown can have a night. Help Morris can have a night. You know what I mean? So who is going to really be the one to nullify whatever threat we pose every night? Because I think it'll be different for us. Whereas the Cavs game plan is going to be give it to LeBron. If he can work inside and get points, then we're sweet. If they're giving him, if they're giving him shit and he can't get in there, you just kick it out to one of the four three pointers we've got on the team. And then if that goes down, then we're sweet as well. So we need to do both of those things, or we need to at least do, you know, half of those things most of the time to be able to stand a chance here. But I mean, if, if our offense can get going and, and the home court advantage that we have can manifest itself into scoring runs and whatnot, then it's not, it's not a foregone conclusion that, you know, the Cavs might have some issues defending us, particularly if it's like Jalen Brown, hot one night, Terry Rozier the next, or even from quarter to quarter. You know, we, I feel like we, we could pose a legitimate threat to them in that respect, but I think I, I think our game our game plan needs to be more or less on either nullifying or reducing LeBron James's effect and then just chasing them off the three-point line and hope that our offense can do the same. Yeah, no, I think he's spot on there. We need to avoid double teaming him as, as much as possible because he will and always does um, just kick it out and, and very accurately at that to the open man. I think our internal defense is going to be very important as well. Tristan Thompson uh, in the past has done terrible things to our, our previous Boston team. So Bainsey, uh, Horford, and potentially even Greg Monroe, as many big bodies as we can throw in the middle there to, to prevent their, uh, you know, their inside threats. We are running out of time, Jackson, so... Uh, before we get on to the extremely hot takes uh, heading into this series, uh, I want to know from you, like who who are your ideal guys to to throw at uh, LeBron James in terms of defenders that we can throw at him on a nightly basis? Um, I love I, my my first priority. Obviously, if it's not working, you need to switch it out. You need to come up with different plans. But I would like to see Jalen Brown take him. I think Jalen Brown has the physique. I think he has the mentality. I think he has the who he's certainly not afraid of him. He will definitely he will definitely give him a challenge. Whether or not he's effective or not is one thing. But my primary option would probably be Jalen Brown. Running back from that, smart obviously because again he's just a guy who doesn't give a toss if he if he, if he wrecks his body. He will do that to for the sake yeah. of the of the team and the sake of you know 
winning every possession or winning, making every winning play that he possibly can. So I think those two guys are your primary uh, defenders of LeBron. Um, but I think it's going to have to be a shared responsibility from everyone. I mean, I'm, I can see Horford defending him sometime. I don't know how... I, I don't think Morris will do a very good job, but I could definitely see Morris getting in on him at some stage. And, you know, it's, it's going to have to just be a, a, a team, a real team effort to be able to, to nullify this. But yeah, if you had to ask me for one player in particular, I'd love to see Jalen Brown take that challenge and take it admirably. Agreed. Uh, the only thing I'd add to that is that I don't think it'll uh, take as long as it did against Giannis in the first round series uh, for us to see Shemi Ojale come in there and just True. body up LeBron. I feel like of all, of all the players, of all the bodies on our team, Shemi Ojale is the, the one who is built to defend LeBron. Now, obviously... All the teams who have come and fought and lost against LeBron have brought their own LeBron stoppers. All of them have failed. Um, you know, uh, not that they battled in the playoffs at all, but PJ Tucker comes to mind. Um, and recently, the rookie uh, for the Raptors was it OG? Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, uh, failed. He's a rookie, so you know, give him a break. But uh, people bring these LeBron stoppers, and it doesn't always work out. So, um, you know, while I'm confident about uh, Shami Ojale and what we've seen from him, uh, Giannis is no LeBron. So it's a completely different challenge, but I'm excited to see it. And we've made it this far, and at some point, you, you, not to be defeatist, but you just got to call it out and say, look, we've made it as far as we can without our two best players and two of the best players in the league at that. Yeah. Um, so just enjoy this basketball before it's all over, because if our series ends in the next week or we make it to the finals and ends in a few weeks later... At some point, Celtics basketball will be no more for a little while, and we just have to enjoy all of these games while we've got them. Okay. Now, before we, before we wrap this up, Jackson, uh, I believe you have brought to the table uh, one of your classic hot takes uh, around this series. So what, what have you got for us there? I'm going to keep it very simple, and that is uh, the Celtics will win in seven games. Holy shit, that was my hot take as well. Oh, is it? Oh, no. Okay. Let me mix it up. Let me mix it up a little bit. Um. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, let me mix it up a little bit. We go one and one at home. We win game three. We win game four. And everyone's like, oh my God, this is the end of LeBron. We've done this. LeBron comes storming back, takes the next two games. All the obituaries are rewritten again. Oh, here comes LeBron James's, you know, you know crowning achievement. And we win game seven. It is a proper 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 roller coaster of a series and it's one of the biggest upsets ever you really have to say a team shorthanded no Kyrie which the story was going to be you know from day one it was going to be Kyrie versus LeBron in the in the East finals he's not there so you have the likes of Terry Rozier Jason Tatum etc cetera, etc cetera, stepping up to the mound taking it we win seven games in the least predictable way possible we're off to the finals look Kyrie's still going to be there at the uh, at the ring ceremony Later oh, in the year bet, after yeah. we win. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, obviously, similar hot take. Uh, I, I think, honestly, Celtics in six or seven. Um, and the the counter hot take to that is LeBron averages like 48 points per game with a triple-double because we will adequately defend his henchmen. Uh, and he is going to have to just beast so hard to, to, to win a series against um, such a, a solid defensive team. Um, so look, it's going to be an interesting series. I, I can't wait. I think it's uh, beginning on Sunday afternoon, Boston time, which is very early in the morning, yep. uh, Sydney, Australia time. That's okay. That's uh, well, look. I like I said, live right near Elite Process Servers, so uh, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll take some energy from the uh, the process servers and um, and 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 feed off of that to get up early and watch that game. That's that's going to be no problem. Before we wrap this up, uh, a couple of top posts from the subreddit from the Celtics subreddit over the past week, um, really over the past day, coming off of Game Five. Uh, user Alex Souza posted a Bill Simmons tweet. Uh, where he said, my favorite moment of that game was Smart yelling at Stevens to keep him on Sharik uh, at the end right before that key turnover. I got this, uh, in quote, uh, is what Smart said. He was screaming. Then after Smart screamed, I told you. Simmons <laughs> replies, I fucking love that guy. Uh, look, we all fucking love that guy. Uh, like we've, we've gushed over Smart uh, throughout the podcast already, but Bill Simmons was at the game, so it was cool that he was able to pick that out. And uh, old mate Timmy... Um, from the, uh, you know, obviously a big part of the Celtics community. He was able to capture that moment and post it onto his YouTube channel and he's linked that on the sub as well. So check that out if you haven't seen it already. 
Yeah, it was it was a huge moment. Again, we talked about it earlier, but yeah, that 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 t- turnover was so key. And I think like I think Brad knows what what Marcus is about. If Marcus is saying keep me in, keep me in, I fucking got this or whatever he was saying, I think Brad's just yeah. kind of like, okay, I can see he's got this. I'm gonna keep him in. So that's uh, uh, again, the, you don't want to like just give Brad that Stevens praise, you know, when it's obviously the the, the, the um the players getting it done there in this play in particular. But I mean, if it was Brad even was even thinking taking him out and he listened to him and thought, no, he does have this, then credit to him. But again, credit to Smart. He's uh, he's amazing. Totally. Uh, and finally, on the subreddit, user LaBird33 posted um, what I can only describe Legendary. as one of the... One of the funniest things I have ever seen in my entire life, which is basically, I mean, it starts with this like plastic bag promotion. <laughs> uh, I don't need to describe it to you. Look, if you're, a, if you're a fan of the subreddit, you've probably seen it already. If you are somehow listening to this podcast and you've never been on Boston Celtics Reddit, uh, go there. If you're a Celtics fan, which obviously you are, if you're listening to this, that is the ultimate source for information and hilarious memes and the like. Um, you, you just got to check it out. If you're a Celtics fan, you need to be on Celtics Reddit. And this guy, prominent user on Celtics Reddit as well, LaBird33. Uh, it's like basically a highlights montage and it, it just is just, it reflects Brad Stevens' uh, handsomeness, uh, intelligence, beauty, and just the fact that he is a cut above your 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 normal man. The sort of, you know, you think of um, prominent men uh, in, in movies. I'm thinking Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Sylvester Stallone. Maybe you, maybe you Clint Eastwood. Thank yeah. you. And then Brad Stevens is just a cut above those guys and the rest. Like, and, and this this highlight clip uh, serves to demonstrate that. Yeah, if you're a Brad, if you're a Brad Stevens, um, uh, Leonardo. Uh, if you, if you're a fan of Brad Stevens, you'll love Brad Stevens like we do. That it's a very very satisfying watch. You got to go and check it out. Yeah, bring the tissues. Uh, <laughs> <look>. <laughs> For whatever reason. <laughs> Whether you're crying or if it's something, something else. else. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you spilled something. Know. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, look, that'll just about do it for this here episode of the Boston Celtics Reddit podcast. Uh, I've been Ben Vallis, a.k.a. Brutal Gash. Uh, thank you, Jackson, a.k.a. Rickman Lives, again for joining us. Pleasure. No worries. Go the Celtics. Celtics in seven. Bring it on. Oh, yeah. Now, look, big shout-out to Joe, our bro in the know from across the Tasman. Uh, he couldn't be here tonight. He's he's very important in New Zealand. There aren't very many people there. I think there's like 300 people or so who yeah. live in New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> so, obviously, he's, he's up in the top echelon of those people. Um, so, he couldn't be with us tonight. That's fine. Looking forward uh, for Joe being back uh, in the next episode. In the meantime, we made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, so happy. I'm sure you guys are as well. Can't wait to talk to you guys again after Game 1. Go Celtics! Peace.